quick, how long uh, are we going to uh, go for? About an hour, a little over an hour. Okay. Perfect. All right. Welcome to episode number 17 of Coffee Time with Byron and Dave. I am your host, Byron, alongside my host, co-host, former MLB player, Dave Krenzel. Right. Thank you, sir. I know he says cup of tea, but hey, regardless, he's still a major leaguer. Cup of coffee. You got to get it right. Let's go. Along Now we are joined by former MLB pitcher, fellow Southpaw, Pat Combs, formerly of the Philadelphia Phillies. How are you today? And welcome back again <laughs> for round two. Yeah. Hey, we get to do it over. That's uh, double the fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, great to be with you, Byron, Dave. Yeah. Pleasure to, to, uh, to be with you guys today and looking forward to the conversation. Definitely. We'll start off with you, Dave. Go ahead with your first question that we were trying to get before your power went off. <laughs> well, I was asking about the college that your son went to, and I didn't know, I didn't even recognize the verbiage that I saw on Baseball Reference, but uh, usually when someone says that their kid plays for the Marlins or the Mariners or whatever, nowadays I check Baseball Cube or Baseball Reference, or it pops up on Google, and I'm like, sweet, you know that's real. Your kid does play in the pros. And he went to uh, Baptist, I'm not sure, I think it was in Texas. Can you explain what that is, where that's at, uh, and the story behind it? Yeah, David, it's a really cool story. So Casey Combs, my, my youngest son, uh, is a catcher in the Marlin or yeah Marlins organization. He's he's gonna looks like he's gonna play a ball this year. So, uh, but they're you know in the middle of spring training right now. They came in after the big leaguers left, and uh, they'll start their season here in May. So we're excited to get there to see him play some ball again. Yeah, it's yeah. tough for those minor league guys. As you remember, they they were you know got their whole season canceled last year. So a lot of these guys have not been in you know, real competition for a year and a half. It's been a long time coming for these minor league guys. But uh, yeah, the great story, I'll I'll tell you the short version. Uh, Casey was in high school, bummed his shoulder up uh, in a football injury, but was a catcher on the baseball team. And uh, it was a junior season, obviously couldn't throw, so they moved into first base. And uh, had a great season hitting, but, uh, you know, he, he just had fought through the injury for about a year and a half trying to get his shoulder back. Couldn't throw very well, uh, even still and decided to hang the cleats up and it was a really difficult decision for him, but uh, he just felt like, the, you know, the rehab wasn't going as fast as he wanted to. And I, I asked him to, to hang in there a little longer, but he just said, I'm, I'm kind of just done fighting. it." so um, he took about six months off. He gets a call from his brother. His older brother was playing baseball at, at a little division three school in Marshall, Texas called East Texas Baptist university. And uh, Connor called him in January. We went back to the spring season and said, Connor, we, or case we just lost our, our catch, we need you to play. And I'll never forget Casey running out of the stairs. He said, Dad, I, I miss it. I, I really want to go play again. And uh, I said, all right, well, your mama's got to get you in school and get, get you going. So she did. And the really cool part of the story is, Dave, that he, he never came off the field uh, his freshman year, uh, became a, a full-time starter, and, um, and just fell in love with the game again. He got his shoulder healthy, obviously. And, and then by his senior year, he was kind of on the radar with a number of different clubs and had a great summer, his junior summer out in California playing in a college summer league. And, uh, you know, he, he came back feeling like he, he would love to have a shot at pro ball. So he got drafted by the Marlins and uh, signed and off he went. Did you know he always wanted to follow in your footsteps and become a major leaguer? Yeah, Byron, I, I, you know, uh, I had three sons and all of them, 
played sports. My oldest son was actually a collegiate hockey player, mm. and um, he had the dream of playing in the NHL. Didn't have the talent, but uh, and then my middle son certainly did. And it looked like he had a shot. He was going to get a shot to play pro ball as well. Had a great college career. I mean, he won like 41 different collegiate awards. Um, really thought he was going to get a shot, but he didn't. And it was really disappointing for him. Mm-hmm. But uh, it comes along that uh, my youngest son, Casey, who if you ask my, his, his two brothers, they would say, you know, he probably had the most uh, talent out of the three. Um, and it just, it kind of all fell in place. He was undersized coming out of high school. That's why I didn't have very many college offers. Then he had that bum shoulder. But um, yeah, I would say all three of them really wanted to follow in my footsteps. But as I told them, Byron, my experience was, you know, I had a great left arm. I got to the big leagues quickly. It, it was it was about as easy a path as you could have to get there. But I also recognized for most players, and Dave will attest to this, that it's unbelievably hard for for players to get to that level. And then when you get to that level, to try to get through the minor leagues to get a chance at your dream at the major league level, I mean, it's just like one of the most difficult things on the planet you can do. So you prepare your kids for that, uh, knowing that they have a dream, but also trying to help them realize it's it's unbelievably difficult to get there. And uh, so I think they, they each had a good perspective about it. You know, like that baseball was not their life. Mm. You know, they, they took school seriously. They, they wanted to do well in other things. And so uh, I think that perspective kind of helped more their well-roundedness of, of not relying totally on baseball for their fulfillment. Uh, you're, you're, you're saying some things that are, are knocking some chords with me, man. And, and just directing uh, sentences towards, you know, a guy that played before like that is, uh, it's something that it, it just shows to me that you've been through the, you know, some of the same things that I experienced. And, uh, you mentioned how hard it was to just make it. Um, I mean, I, I'm, a, I want to say I almost died so many times doing it and people are like, well, how'd you almost die? I'm like, I actually didn't. I mean, I didn't almost die, but I felt like I was because it was so hard. It was so hard. I mean, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm not having a heart attack then. I'm, I'm not stressed out to the point where it's not working. I'm going to die. No, it's, but it was so hard. Now, what was so hard? Okay. The traveling, dealing with the numbers, the failure. Um, and then you got this whole other, like all that stuff, the, the, the grind of it. Okay. Everyone say they can do that. But now you also have this thing in the back of your head saying you have how many people right now in this organization and you have this guy and this guy and this guy, and he's in front of me and you have this, the mental anguish that you can put yourself through. Will you talk to me a little bit about that, that through your experience, if you didn't have any, because Byron told me that you were like drafted and then in the major leagues, which is unbelievable. But I know you had some stuff that you dealt with. Tell me, tell me about that, that, that mental thing of this is like, because I know there's guys out there that are saying that and they can't handle it and they quit. Correction. I didn't say he went right away. He spent a season in the minors. <laughs> There's Byron for you. That's why. I that's said, why. I said Byron. That. Byron. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. It was a fast track. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a fast track, uh, Dave. It, um, you know, as of a first round pick in '88. Um, I mean, left-handed pitcher. I could throw low '90s. I could spot it up pretty good, and had some really good secondary pitches. So, I would say. I had as bad a much of an advantage as you could have uh, coming out of college in, in trying to, you know, reach that dream of playing in the big leagues. So, yeah, I mean, it, 
you know, the, the talent was there, um, the passion, the will, all that was there. And that, that's what you would say about most guys. Um, right. Even get drafted or to even, you know, be signed as a free agent to a pro contract anywhere is an incredible accomplishment. But you're exactly right. You start taking all the variables beyond that that most guys aren't prepared for at that level. You know, because we all come out where, you know, you think back to the guys that do make it. They're the best player on their high school team, you know, typically one of the better players on their college team. And, you you know, you got, you're putting everything into your life to try to reach this goal, this dream. And so then you get to the minor leagues, and that's exactly what you referred to, Dave, the grind of it all, right? You don't, you're not ready for that. Um, nope. <laughs> as much as people try to prepare you, you know, I had some great, you know, mentors and guys that played before me and said, hey, here's the things you need to be, be ready for. And you go, okay, I got it. And you start getting on those buses and you start going through slumps and you start getting, <laughs> you know, feedback from coaches around you about everything you need to change and tweak and all. Oh, man, it can throw your head into a cloud and, and then uh, you're, you get lost, you know, and, and that's what happens. Um, so for me, it was it was an easier path just from the standpoint of, of – the talent that I had, the, the things I was blessed with, but also being a first round pick, it just comes with, with certain benefits. And so I knew at some point I was going to get a shot. It's just a matter of when, um, but, you know, being in the right place at the right time, that also has a lot to do with it. And Dave, you talked about, you know, being drafted by the right organization that has a need for your position or they're in the rebuilding mode, or, you know, there's not 20 players ahead of you that, that, are the same type type of talent that you have to fight through and weed through to get to your, you know, get your shot. So yeah, there's, there's just things, so many things out of your control as a player. Uh, if you're not mentally ready or mentally tough in that way to accept those challenges and to continue fighting through and grinding through where maybe sometimes there just doesn't seem like there's any hope for you to move up or, or to be seen or, or right. get recognized. Those are the things you just have to mentally fight through if you're ever going to get your opportunity at the, at the big league level. Now, who, uh, I'm, I'm, who, who, I'm hearing him say fight. I love it. Sorry, Byron. Go ahead. No, you're good. You're good. Who, who, who helped you alongside your major league tenure, would you say, helped you through the struggles that you were going through with dealing with this? Who helped you? Yeah, Byron, I, I had the great benefit of having a, a college pitching coach who was a player and made it to the big leagues coached at the big league level, coached at the minor league level, was a, then became a professional scout. Um, guy named Sid Hudson. And Sid, um, you know, was an older gentleman. Even when he coached me in college, he was in his in his late 60s. But, um, yeah, Sid was probably the perfect guy to prepare me for that next level and all the expectations. And, of course, guys I played with that had gone on, Blaine Beatty, um, some other guys that, that were at Baylor that went on, and I would just contact them and say, hey, tell me what it's like. What do you, you know, what are some of the struggles, the things you're, you're trying to, battle through um and then of course once you get into the minor leagues you get surrounded by uh, other players in the organization coaches in the organization so my uh you know my first big league pitching coach daryl knowles was awesome uh johnny padres who was an old dodger you know hall of fame type guy uh johnny was awesome i mean you know just some great guys who had, had been there done that gone before us and and were willing to coach us up and, and mentor us so uh, also had a pitching coach in AAA named Jim Wright, and Jimmy was was almost became one of my best friends. Just after I got hurt in the big leagues and came went down to the minor leagues, uh, he became kind of like a, a, a psychologist too, <laughs> pitching coach slash psychologist. Because uh, you know you get guys that, that go through injuries like that, and now they're battling some of the other other things they have to fight through to get get back on track. So um, yeah, so it's it's really 
and and Dave will attest to this. You know, you get into into pro baseball, it, it's such a small fraternity. Uh, the, the networking of guys that have been there that that, that want to help you because they know what a grind it is. They know how difficult that lifestyle is. That just the you know the, the competition every day. You know, so um, there's a lot of folks that that understand that they've been there and they they want to help. Go ahead, Dave. Man, that's that's awesome. What what in in particularly did they say to you? What did they seriously do to help you? If you can remember, because I remember guys calling me out, and now that I look back, I'm like, oh my god, that guy was helping me out so much. I didn't even realize that. Oh my god, he said this, but he said it this yeah. way because. And that's look, that's how we work, right? As as human beings, we go and you can't just go and tell somebody. Dude, you're going to be fired if you don't do it this way. You have to tell them another way. You have to explain to them, or is this what we're talking about being a good coach? Yeah. Yeah. So I would start with the relationship that I developed with certain coaches was really important. You know, that I remember I, Lee Elia, who was my first uh, AAA manager, you know, I'll never forget Lee in spring training. You know, he was kind of a senior guy, had, had coached at the big league level, you know, won a World Series. And I walk in that locker room that day, and he's got the whole team. He's addressing the team, and he says, guys, I've I've won everything I want to win in, in baseball. I've, I've got the trophies. I've got the rings. Um, my job is to help you get there. So whatever you think I can do to help you, I want you to come let me know. And I'm going to tell you what I think will help you. But to have a guy like that that then – walks that out and, and develops a relationship with the players where you then receive the feedback. You know, to me, that's just as important. The relationship that, that management has with the players is just as important as the, as the content that they're providing. If they don't have that connection, you know, it's hard for guys to trust. You know, it's, um, there's a lot of guys that'll tell you things, but when you sense that they don't really care about you, they're just kind of doing their job. They're just there for the paycheck. You know, it, it doesn't mean as much. So uh, for me, the great benefit I had was, so I was surrounded by coaches that, that cared about me and I, I cared about what they were trying to impart on me. <clears throat> so I think that's the important piece is uh, that relationship, that connection with, with the coaches and the mentors, the guys who are trying to help you. And then it becomes on you as to what information you're going to take and receive and what you're going to do with it. You know, so, so there's really both sides of that. There's a, there's an equation there that I think works really well. But for me, I, I just had to know that that coach cared about me, even even more so than just being a good ball player. You know, they really cared about my family, cared about, you know, me as a person. Uh, that really helped me to trust what they were telling me. So going back to going back to your son being drafted by the Marlins, uh, when and where were you and your family, and how emotional was it for your family when you found out that? He got drafted when he told you he got drafted. How emotional were you guys? Yeah, Byron, it's it's a really cool story. So, <clears throat> about I'll take you back about five years ago uh, at our home church. There's a pastor there that uh, came from the the country of Belize, and Omar and I got to know each other really well. And he just said, "Hey, um, you know, just knowing your your background in baseball, would you be interested in going to Belize to help me start baseball?" there in, in this little Central American country. And I'm like, Omar, in Central America, they all play baseball. He goes, no, no, in, in Belize, they don't. Uh, the men play softball and uh, and the girls play softball, but we used to have baseball years ago, but it, it got taken out of the schools and then it just kind of died. 
And I'm like, well, how many kids do you think want to play baseball down there? He says, oh my gosh, he goes, we got a lot of kids that want to uh, pick up uh, baseball again and start playing it. So I said, well, I'll make a deal with you. I'll bring some equipment down. I'll bring my, my sons down, anybody else who wants to join us. And we'll help those those young guys learn about baseball, but we need to find some coaches that can that can help them as well. He says, I've already got four four guys that are, that. Uh, in fact, one of them played the minor leagues years and years ago, and he's living in Belize now, but he wants to help. <clears throat> so we uh, loaded up about 2,000 pounds of equipment, uniforms, went down to Belize. This was in 2016, <clears throat> and we've gone down every year and uh, brought more and more equipment down. And they're now playing baseball again in Belize. But that became a family mission. And uh, it's just really cool because all of our sons and my wife were all involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I give you that little backstory to tell you that we were down there. Uh, this was <clears throat> July of, or I'm sorry, June of, of 2019. It was just after Casey's senior season. And we had that date on the books for like six months and we couldn't change it because the, the schools and, and the kids were kind of building the, around the clinic. So we had, we had to be there. But we knew it was during the draft. So uh, I told Casey uh, the morning of the draft, I said, keep your phone on. You might get a call. And now we had a few contacts with scouts and, and coaches and stuff before we went down there. So I, I had a feeling he was going to get drafted. He didn't believe me. So uh, we're at a clinic one morning. We're in uh, the southern part of Belize. And we do the baseball clinic from 8 to noon. We're taking a lunch break. And we went to a place where they had internet and Wi-Fi. And I turned my phone on. I've got like 10 messages. And about eight of them were from Casey's college coach. And uh, Coach Jared Hood was trying to get a hold of Casey to let him know that the Marlins and a couple of other clubs had called and said, hey, we want to draft uh, Casey, but we're trying to get a hold of him. Where is he? <laughs> He's trying to explain all their family went down to Belize to do this mission trip. And they said, well, we got to get a hold of him. We got to talk to him so we know what he wants to sign for. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So we're at this little lunch place and, and, uh, in nowheresville belize and and i finally i told case i said is your phone on he goes no i, I turned it off you know to try to save some juice i'm like man you've got clubs trying to get a hold of you and he turns his phone on and i about the time he turned his phone on i started getting these messages i get the call from the marlins and i said well hey casey sit right next to me so i hand the phone to casey and they said hey you know will you sign for you know x amount of dollars he said yeah, I'd do it for free. And I said, hey, don't tell them that. <laughs> tell them that. <laughs> yeah, don't tell them that. Yeah. And they said, well, awesome. we, we can't do it for free, but we want to draft you here in this next round. So here we are sitting in this little lunch place overlooking the, the beach of Belize. And he gets to see his name on the board called up by the Marlins. And uh, it was really cool. We got to celebrate in the restaurant. And uh, it was a, a fun time. But um, one of the gentlemen, the, one of the Belize coaches, who was an old elderly gentleman, and he had—he was one of the guys that had started baseball back in Belize back in the '70s, and then he got a chance to play a little minor league ball, and he was there, and he said, uh, "He said, Casey, I was not drafted; I was signed as a free agent. You're now the first player ever to be drafted from Belize." From Belize. <laughs> oh, nice. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, okay, Pat. So he, he's oh, drafted, nice. and look. I'm dealing with kids, man. I deal with these young kids, these club ballers. They know all the situations already. They know how to play the game. They're studs. These guys got it. Today, what did you do with your son, Casey, to prepare him, to develop him, to be a pro back in the day? And how, how old is he? He's 20, 21, 24. 22, yeah. 24 now. So he's, he's old compared to these kids, 9, 10, 11 guys. So, and what's the difference of the development today? Is there any? So what did you do for your son? 
And then what would you recommend for a parent right now that they could do to help them out? And I, and I understand you said baseball is not life. And when I said you hit chords, man, like that was one of them. Like it can't be right. Like it cannot just be that the relationship between the father and the son can't be based on how good the kid does at baseball. And, and I think there's a major problem right now with these youth athletes uh, where that's going on. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, one of many problems today that we're seeing, you know, with um, uh, parents that, uh, you know, just, in, well, we're, we get a deep discussion about that subject. It's a tough one. I'm sorry. I had yeah, to do no, it. I, we're here. We're rocking, man. We're going. It's a great, it's a great subject and it, it, it's worthy to be talked about uh, because there are a lot of parents struggling with how do we, how do we negotiate this whole new sports thing? And so that was one of the catalysts for me writing my book more than the score was to try to help parents understand um, some of the, just the foundational principles to operate from, you know, and I think it starts with just having the right perspective. You know, why, why do you want your kids in sports? And hopefully most parents will say it's because I want them to learn uh, the character side of it, the, the virtue side of it, um, the, all the things that they can learn from being on a team where it's not about them, you know, and they have to learn how to be a good teammate and uh, learn all those great character skills that, that we got to learn playing games that now have carried us through the rest of our lives. You know, that, that to me is the priority and should be the focus uh, winning games Developing them into great ball players um, or whatever sport they're involved in, that to me should be the icing on the cake. That you know, if they've been given great talent, you know, yes, our our job as parents is help them develop that talent, let them take it as far as it can go, um, but also to make sure we have the right perspective about that. That there's there's very very little chance that they're going to get get the opportunity to play even collegiately, not much less professionally. Right. You know, it's the it's the law of statistics. You know, when you look at the stats, we've got, you know, 40 million kids playing youth sports in this country. And how many of them get a chance to play professionally? You know, a handful, right? So it's like 0.01% of kids ever get a shot at, at reaching their dream of, of pro baseball or pro sports, whatever it is. So I think it's it starts with the right perspective, understanding that, look, if your child has talent, great. And if not, let's let them enjoy the game. Let them have fun. Um, to me, that's what it's it's designed for anyway. It's entertainment. It's uh, they're they're also going to learn some tremendous skills, especially if you surround them with good coaches. Um, and then, you know, our job as parents is to guide. You know, we're we're not to live out their lives for them. We're not to dream for them. Uh, we can dream with them, right? But uh, that was the one thing I tell parents all the time. I said, look, we we all had dreams. I had the great chance to to, to play at that level, but um, my dream was not necessarily for my kids to make it that far. My dream was for them to learn all the great skills and all the things they could learn from the game and let their talent take them where it's supposed to take them. So that, that to me was the focus that my wife and I had. And, and hey, there, there were times when she had to hold me accountable too, man, because I'd, I'd get upset at umpires or I'd say things I shouldn't say. And <laughs> so I had some I had some strong accountability, I'll say that. I love it. I bet you're uh, just being a parent. I mean, you're just being a parent. Yeah. So I, I feel you. That's how I would get my kids into the game. I'm, my kid's going to be four. No, going to be five this year. So, I mean, I want him to eventually get into sports. So that's probably how I would be watching him play. <laughs> so yeah. I feel you on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think, Byron, to the, the thing you know, I think about with young kids, especially, you're getting ready to start, right? What a blessing. Yeah. Uh, 
but to love our kids well. You know, what does that look like when you love your kids well? And does it mean you're going to jump on them when they don't make a play in a, in a ball game? I mean, my goodness, uh, you know, that, that to me on the grand scheme of things is like some of the most stupid things I hear from parents, you know, yell yeah. at their kids when they don't make a play, you know, and I literally turn around and say, no, that's, this is not the right way to handle it. Yeah. You know, and, and if you want to burn your kids out or you want them to start hating you, uh, get on them about their performances and in, in games. You know, that's yeah. just, it's, to me, it's, it's ridiculous. It's over the top, but, but a lot of times that's what we're hearing from the stands, you know, and, and or parents jumping on umpires, you know, they make a wrong call. It's like, you know, do you think that umpire's out there to wreck your day and make a make a bad call? He's trying to tick you off. He's like, no, he's he's out there trying to do the best job he can. And yeah. you know what? They make mistakes. They they miss calls. It happens all the time. It's like, just shut your mouth and get over it. Let your kids have a, a, a fun time playing the game. Yeah, agreed, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm the guy that uh, stopped the club ball because I was taking everything too personally. I was the guy I could not believe. It, I was doing club ball for ten years, mm. coaching on and off. Um, I'm not done with it. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm at the point where I had to step back to realize, uh, yeah, you're going to have to, um, change the way that you, um, look at this and the way that this is all, what this whole thing's all about. But I, I am, you know, so strong and prideful in what I did to make it as far as I did to, to get to where I was and to be on the pedestal that I was at that time during my wave, um, I mean, I claim I claim outrageous things. I think I have the longest uh, track down robbed home run in history. Uh, <laughs> go and check my video out. I'm on. It's 0-2 count against the nine hole hitter. Where, I'm center field. Where, where do you think I'm at? Opposite and yeah. uh, you know, opposite and in man. I'm on the other side of second base and in. And he hits it to left center field. 0-2. I le- I, I want to say I left during the uh, flight of the ball. I mean, you know how in the major leagues. It's that quick. You see, I was like, I, I, it's a fastball right down the middle. It's high. Oh my god, I'm gone. And you see the replay. I, I left right when the ball was hit. And dude, I robbed that thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm forgetting what I'm saying, but I'm just going going back to all these parents and, and all the winning and all the coaches and everything. I do interviews with club ball parents. And I, do do you think that it's like a healthy thing for these kids to play a lot of games every year? So everything's going right with their parents, like. Is that where this game is at, and and is that different than when Casey was coming up and, and, and going through this this age? Yeah, so we we did the select ball thing too, Dave. It, it was, um, you know, hey, I'm not against select ball or club ball at all. I think it's there's great benefits for kids who are that talented. You know, they need a place to compete and to do it at a higher level. That to me, competition gets you better. You know that. So right uh, when they are are that talented, that's that's one thing. I, Unfortunately, today, the club sports are getting watered down because you've got every parent wearing those rose-colored glasses that think their kids all that, you know. And so there's not, you know, club ball um, is getting to the point where if you've got money and you're willing to spend it, there, there's a club coach out there that will take it and tell you all the, all the right things about your kid, whether they're true or not. Uh, because it's become a, it's a money-driven deal, right? And, it's, and it didn't used to be that way. You know, when, when I was coming up um, – Youth sports was about little league and rec ball, and and you know you had all stars and all that, which was great fun, but it was not as much about the competition as it is today. And um, so that's where again it gets back to that perspective, right? You've got to have the right perspective going into this. And uh, with Casey and all my sons, they all played uh, select sports, and they enjoyed it. They had a great time. Now I'll tell you this: it was a huge investment of, of 
time and resources. Uh, even with me coaching the baseball side of it, you know, um, like my, my oldest son was a was a hockey player and he played travel hockey. That's ex- incredibly expensive. You know, it cost us probably eight nine thousand dollars a year for him to do that. Son, twelve years old, hockey first year. He's just learning. He's six months in, and dude, he just had his first hat trick last night. Nice, yes. I gave you kudos, and I know you were cheering your head head off, and I know he was giving it right back at you, Dave. You were <laughs> he, he did. He does not want me to say anything, but I figured something out about hockey. They cannot hear you. He didn't hear a word I said. I, I'm blown away. I'm on the top shelf to recording the whole thing. I made a YouTube video. I'm, I'm good on Adobe Premiere now, Pat. I'm good right. on Photoshop now. I'm doing stuff. I'm making these videos. And uh, I just sent it to him, and you know it made his day, you know? That's great. Yeah, and it, it, look, those are the memories and things that we'll celebrate forever. My, my wife and I can recall stories when the kids were young, playing in different tournaments and different, you know, championship games. And, and uh, man, those are memories that just get burned into your brain. It's it's so much fun. We loved it. And, you know, yeah, it cost us some money. We, we had to travel around the country chasing these kids around. Um, we didn't go into debt to do it. You know, I see a lot of parents going into debt to try to fund uh, their kids' sports, and I think there's a danger of that as well. Because, um, Dave, you know, it, if you're good enough, you're going to get found, right? Right. The challenge is for parents to realize their kids don't have to play at the highest levels to get found. Now, is it good for their competition and increasing their skills? Yeah, it is. But, gosh, this stuff's getting so expensive, and these big-time tournaments now are charging so much to play. Um, you know, I'll coach my Dallas Patriots summer team this, this summer. It's an elite travel baseball team, you know, 16, 17 new kids. Um, those parents are going to spend probably close to seven or $8,000 to, to chase their guys around for six tournaments this, this, uh, this summer. Um, now, these are all D1 draft type players. So for those types of guys to play at that level to, and to play against teams that are, that are going to be, you know, like t- uh, same talent, it, it's, a, it's important for their development. But it's not everything, Right. Um, we've got kids that I, I tell in, in different neighborhoods right here. I said, look, I want you to play select ball, but play in a team that's going to stay local. You don't have to go traveling everywhere to get good competition and to get your work in. Um, so there's there's that part of it. But, yeah, for us, it was the right decision. We had the financial resources to do it. Our kids wanted to do it. They had a passion for the game. Uh, they loved it. They increased their skills. I mean, Casey will tell you that the team he played on was a local team, but we had a lot of talent. And uh, those kids went out and won some national tournaments and had a great time doing it. And they're, he's got some guys he played with in Little League that are still going to be, I think, his best buddies the rest of his life. So there's there's that relational side to it as well that, you know, it, it is good for the kids in that way. But um, I think Casey will also tell you that the jump he made in college and going to the right college was a really important choice for him. <clears throat> didn't have a lot of offers, you know, but he went to a D3 school. And it gets back to, he had the talent, but he had to develop that. And so he went to a place where he could go start right away and play and he developed uh, and he became a, a professional ball player. So uh, I tell these, some of these young guys that we coach, you know, they're, that are kind of borderline D1 kids. I'll tell us, think about if you go to a D1 school and you sit behind a couple of players for a year or two and you don't play, how's that gonna help your development? Right, especially in baseball, Dave. You know, you got to get repetition, man. You can't sit on the bench for a year or two years and no expect it to, uh, you know, to be at your best. So, do it right. Yeah, yeah. So, so they, they, they find the right fit too. 
Byron, I know you got to finish up, dude. I, I got questions about your book. Uh, I got some other questions about the Dallas Patriots. Byron, go ahead, bro. Yeah, uh, we're going. What we're going to do? Because we only got forty minutes on the Zoom for now. We're going to break it down into parts. So this is going to be the end of the first part. Um, I got to go up, head to the bank real quick to take out some money. So Dave, if you can take my spot, be the actual host for a couple couple minutes while I'm gone. <laughs> All right, I can do it. I yeah, know well, you well. can. I know you can. So what's going to happen is we're going to end this part. Um, and then he's going to continue on the Zoom again. He's going to add you again. And I'm going to jump on as soon as I get back. And then we'll continue on with part two. So, Dave, I have faith in you. Take over. Take over. Oh, no. Pat, you heard that, right? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Byron. You're you welcome. I'll be back, though. I'm going to get you. Know what that means, I'm dude. Going to, before I take off, though, I'm going to get you guys I'm going to get you guys on Zoom, and I'm going to be recording for the anchor part. So I'm going to end it now, and then we'll hop back on so I can resume. Oh, I got you. Okay. All right, cool. Perfect. All right. We'll be right back with Pat Combs. Boom. Pat, you're the man. We're back with Pat Combs, former major leaguer. This is Dave Krenzel. Byron has left the building. It's just just Pat and I. I, I don't know what I don't know what Byron's doing. He he let me take it. This is great. We're trusting you, Dave. He's trusting me, man. This is great stuff. You know what? It feels good to be trusted. It does, man. I I, I mean, Pat, look, you you don't know who I am. I I, I don't know who you are. I, I've looked up your numbers and this and that. Like we don't generally know each other but we know what we went through and the similarities of us um you played way more in the major leagues though and and i you know i want to say that i have similarities it was like i I got called up in the late call up and then the next year the center fielder hurt his hamstring and i got called up for eight games basically went to philadelphia and milwaukee and and i never sniffed well i sniffed the big leagues again i was the 26th guy in spring training i was the last guy to get cut in, in 06 and I was at Chase Stadium they hung my jersey and everything for the exhibition game at Chase Stadium and they I, I showed up early went and warmed up and uh, you know at that time the trainer called me in he says hey you know Bo Mel it was Bob Melvin Bo Mel wants to see you oh I knew what that meant and I went in there and uh, walked in there and oh man I never sniffed the big leagues again uh, so it was tough but I, I wanted to talk to you about your stuff your strategies, you pitching on the mound. Dude, what'd you do to get guys out? How'd you throw? Like you said, you threw 90, you know, you probably topped out or whatever, 93, four, five. Uh, I don't know. Uh, talk to me about your pitching and how you got guys out. What'd you do on the mound? Yeah. Well, it, it really, um, you know, it came down to who you're playing, the scouting reports, who you, who you're lining up against that night, you know, and, and obviously trying to expose their weaknesses or things they were struggling with at that moment versus trying to, you know, stay away from their strengths. So a lot of it had to do with the, the scouting reports, the things that we were getting at that time. Now today it's, it's crazy how much information these guys get. In fact, I, I talked to, you know, some big league guys about how do they manage today versus 
when they played the game and you know the information they have to work with they said it's just it's so statistically driven now you know the uh, the money ball type of mindset where you know there's a statistical measurement for everything and uh, you know a lot of that guides their decisions I think we saw that in the World Series last year play out you know when Snell's throwing that that shutout and they take him out after the six and I'm like what are they doing this guy's locked in man and you know the statistics said well third time around is when he usually starts to get knocked around a little bit and and I'm like I, I get that I understand how how the data tells you that that's probably the right decision but man you can't remove that gut right in your gut you know it, the right thing to do is leave that kid in until it maybe he, he lets a, a base runner on right or maybe gets in trouble then you go to your pen but yeah so some of that I think has changed a lot since since you and I played but um, that's how I approached the game I wanted to be uh, as physically good as I could be. I wanted my stuff to be the best it could be. So I obviously worked on my craft a lot. You know, I, I took my bullpen serious. I uh, did long toss. I did all the things for arm care that you're supposed to do. So physically I could be at the top of my game, but um, mentally I tried to feel like Dave, I had an edge because I studied the game. I, I wanted to know everything there was to know about uh, the opposing team, the players, their philosophy, you know, what they were trying to get, get done at the plate. Uh, situationally be smart about that you know when you've got guys and runners in scoring position or how they're trying to approach moving guys around the bases where you're trying to pitch in terms of location to keep them from moving runners Uh, so all those 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 things mentally I wanted to be sharp about as well so um, I think it was for me it was a combination of my approach uh, my passion to be the best I could be to be as as good physically as I could be but also be mentally sharp and try to try to outsmart out with the, the the opposing hitters you got to be smart to play baseball. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you got to be able to use some data, that's for sure. <laughs> People don't think that, man. I mean, especially at the young ages. But the games, it is like that, though. It is. It's a smart man's game. I mean, I've heard that for years. You got to be smart to play it. I'm uh, left-handed and Polish. I, I don't think I was in that category saying I was smart. But you know what? <laughs> hey, man, I was, I'm super, super smart at this game. I know a lot about baseball. I just do from playing, from being trained. Right. You probably played Lace Alarm. You probably played with Davey Nelson or against or during his off time when he was done playing. Uh, Davey Nelson, Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. Do you remember him? I do. He uh, he was my mentor. He was Kenny Lofton's main coach that taught him how to bunt, play the outfield. And I'm like, I'm standing here with this guy. And he... From his trainings for the years that I had him, now I go and coach a kid, and it's all from Davey Nelson. I do the same thing that he told he told me to do when I was a pro, mm-hmm. and and man, it's so good. It's not like I do textbook how he said it and did it with me, but it's the same drills. Yeah, and it's it's Davey Nelson, and I mean, there's so many drills in this and that. Davey Nelson is one of a kind guys, but. Um, I, I just, like you said, there's so many guys out there, but just certain coaches help you out and like you have relationships with them. Um, I, I, what I'm getting from you, man, is that relationships and perspective, like are a big deal, the way that you look at things, what would you, what would you tell somebody now? Cause I mean, they're, they're out there, a parent that really wants their kid to, to make it pro a kid that really wants to make it pro they're all in it. They're in this club ball. That's it. Like you can't convince them. Otherwise they're going for it. What, what kind of, um, you know, just advice do you have for, for a kid and a family like that? Yeah. 
Well, I think the, the right perspective today for any, any baseball player that has talent is they, they just have to know it, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? It's, it takes a long time to develop skills. Um, and baseball's a repetition game. So you've got to play games. You've got to, you know, compete. Um, but you also have to have some good coaching and training along the way too. So I think it's, it's a, it's a matter of who you're surrounding yourself with, you know, who's going to be on that, that team of people that's going to help you, you know, get, get to your dream. So, um, yeah, and there's just a lot of variables. I mean, you know, this, there's so many things that can happen in this game, uh, both positive and negative. And so you've got to have a really, uh, I think, a from, from a behavioral perspective, you've got to have a kid that understands how to fight through adversity and how to fail and keep moving forward. To me, that's that, that whole grit factor, right? I mean, if they're not, if you're coaching a young person right now that, that has the talent, but they don't have the grit, the chances of them making it are very, very small. In fact, yeah, I, I tell you, if you're they look at that or learn that, yeah, they, they got to learn how to, how to fight and, and get through adversity. And so for parents, I think the key, and Dave, this is to me is, is one of the best subjects for us to talk about is that, for parents, if you're trying to rescue your kids or not allowing them to fail, or you're trying to carve that path for them, that's the biggest disservice you can do for a young athlete. Mm, 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 mm. You say you mentioned protecting and this and that. You got team hoppers, you got club ball guys that go from team to team. You got parents that go from this trainer to this trainer and this and that. And then you got guys that fight the whole system and say, oh, well, high school ball is not for me. It's because your kid didn't get good grades and he. He didn't even make the team, you know, and you got these attitudes and opinions of all these different people that say this is the right way to go about it. But you meant you mentioned grit and you mentioned adversity. I ask I, I've asked every guy uh, about this, man. I feel like this is the one like this is why I'm still here today, uh, still surviving some things that happened to me. You know, everyone's got their past, some things that uh, weren't uh, whatever they think was, should have happened to them or whatever. And yeah, you can take that as far as you want to go. But. How did you deal with adversity during your pro career? Yeah, I mean, I tell you, I, I don't know how rare it is, but I just know for me, whenever, um, I, 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 the easiest way to say it, Dave, is I play with a chip on my shoulder. You know, I had, I just always felt like I had something to prove, right? It's, Dude, stop, you're yeah. awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I loved, I was a big game pitcher because I loved, trying to beat the, the big dog, you know? And, and so I look back at my college career. I, I loved when I was at Baylor pitching against University of Texas because they were the big dog. They were the national champs, you know? When you could beat the big dog, you you, you became the dog, right? So um, so that for me, I, I just kind of, I don't know what it was internally or what it was behaviorally about that for me, but I just, I would run through a brick wall trying to beat you. And I don't care if you, if you, if you got a hit off me, if you if you hit a home run, there was two times in my career where I gave up a leadoff home run and then I came back and threw a no-hitter the rest of the way. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the adversity hits and I just got better. I got tougher and I got meaner. And that's how I played the game. That's how I approached it. Man, you got the first round pick last year. He made $8.5, $8.95 million. I'm, of course, going to forget his name. I do want to talk about the college guys this year in the draft. But the guy never got drafted out of high school. Didn't even get snipped. Didn't get drafted. And that made him mad. That made him angry. And that was the driving force that got him. He says, you know what? I mean, he was good enough to go to ASU. It's not like the guy's not good. I mean, yeah. the guy was the first pick of the whole draft. But in high school, I think he had five home runs or seven total. He didn't do it. And then he went to ASU in those next three years, man. He really turned it on. So 
the inspiration, the the passion, that drive, that thing, that is real. And it does come from something. It does come from something. And that was the biggest force for me. And and me being able to handle, you know, and, and, the, and going back to the grit word, oh my God, man, you know, and, and, and you're right. And um, God, just being able to handle stuff. Um, but basically the failure of being a, a position player, there's a difference with pitchers and position players with the failure rate yeah. or the way they fail. Can you explain that a little bit and uh, and, and kind of what, what the difference would be? Yeah, just uh, raising a couple of players that were not pitchers. My, my middle son and my younger son were both position players. So, you know, it really helped me. I learned a lot from their perspective. You know, it's, it's like, um, you know, for, for a position player, I mean, there, there's so much out of your control, especially when you're hitting, yeah. right? So yeah, you don't know what the pitcher's going to throw. You, you, you know, you can study him. You can kind of get an idea of what his sequence is going to look like or how he approaches oh, no. hitters. But right. he controls everything. Nothing happens till the ball leaves his hand. So as a hitter, you are you have to react. You have to expect, but you have to react. So um, yeah, it's just a, diff, a little bit different mindset. And then you're exactly right. They're, you know, the, the batting average, you know, when you consider today, 240 is, you know, can earn you a lot of money. Um, being able to fail seven or eight times and keep coming back, right? So a lot of the stuff we've been talking about still applies, but it does change a little bit the dynamic of, you know, for me as a pitcher, I could be, aggressive i could i could be smart i could change my my uh strategy you know i could change a tactic uh because i had control and i knew the hitter didn't you know so he didn't really know what to expect um and maybe sometimes they were good at picking up pitches or uh or if you're dale murphy when, when dale got traded over to the phillies he said hey i knew every every off speed you you were throwing i'm like how did you know my i was throwing off speed he said because you, you would flare your glove on an off speed pitch <laughs> i'm like dude are you serious man so you know Yes, chips, right? Um, but that's the nuance of baseball. You got some guys that are smarter than you, and uh, you start to figure that out. But uh, no, it's it's uh, there, there, again, there's so many different factors to to weigh into that equation. But bottom line, Dave, I think for all ball players, um, behaviorally, the makeup has to look pretty similar. You know, guys that are just it goes beyond the passion because I know a lot of passionate guys that don't make it. They don't have the talent, or they don't have the Maybe it's the, the, the motivation or the drive or the work ethic. But there's that guy that, that just keeps getting up. He, it's like he's like that little bulldog, right? I mean, you can mm-hmm. kick him 40 times. That, that dude's going to keep coming after you. And um, that's that's the the mentality, the attitude, I think, that, that most successful big leaguers have. Man, I, that's spectacular. Tell, tell me about your best moment. Major League Baseball, was it flying on the jet? Was it <laughs> what, what, was, it, was it the people you were surrounded by? Was it the the little helpers of all this, the clubbies, the the people that do all this stuff for you? Was it the respect? Tell me about it. Was it the game? Was it the stadiums? Yeah, for me, it was the, it was the game. I just absolutely love the game. Um, I love competing. I love winning. You know, I, I love to freaking win. I hate to lose. And uh, so for me, it was it was just the competition. You know, I I'll I'll never forget standing on the mound in Shea Stadium, you know, pitching against the Mets, trying to make the playoffs and, and just beating them like a dog. I mean, those are the things that stick with me. It's like, um, you know, just those big moments in the game that you'll never forget. I, I love the relationships. You know, uh, played on a, on a Phillies team that that had a bunch of characters and it was craziness. And you never knew what was going to happen on any given night with these guys, but. <laughs> but I'll tell you, it was fun. We had a great time. Uh, we had a great time competing with each other. You know, and there's only really out of my, when I look back at my big league career, there's only a couple of guys I still stay in touch with 
that were really good relationships, but it, it was just the game. The game itself was so uh, was so fun. You know, just to compete at that level. You know, I remember flying on the flights. I was a I was a career minor league guy, man. I I, I had so much fun. I was in the big league spring training a lot. Um, I, I got to play with. I was a Randy Johnson center fielder at AAA. Yeah. Um, I mean that that's just un, unreal. I mean the guy he talked to me. I made a catch for him. I got a home run the same game. I think he talked to me that day. <laughs> hey, way, way to go, DK. Everyone calls me, you know, DK or Krenz and, and the pros or there's a couple other nicknames out there, but yeah. <laughs> um, well, dude, that's awesome, man. Um, I want to, I want to move on to, I got a couple questions about what you do now. Uh, and I, I don't know which one to jump in first. How about you pick? You know, I got the financial side of everything uh, in the world today, cryptocurrencies, I am, I am not heavy into it, meaning I got a lot of money involved in it, but I've been involved with cryptos ever since I, you know, I watch YouTube, I get some guys I like, and, you know, since Bitcoin was below 10,000, you know, I, I've been involved with cryptocurrencies and trying to figure out the wallets and this and, this and that. Uh, I, I mean, I'm super excited about the future with cryptocurrencies and, and what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen happen. Um, but I got that question for you. If you could talk about that. And then I got your book. I want to know everything about your book. <laughs> oh man, uh, we have another hour. Uh, we, yeah, we can talk. Tell, about hey, that. dude, I'm, you know what's up, man. This is I'm not gonna I'm not laying up cryptos or your book, and we gotta cover both because I mean they're yeah. both very important. If I, I think you're a financial guy, this is what you do. Yeah, you know so much more than I do about what I just asked you. So I, I this is for me and for anyone listening. I mean, this is big. Yeah, I think. <clears throat> well, it is big. It's to me, you know. There was when I left the game, I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I had a good background. I, I went back and finished my degree in finance and business wow. management. So I, I knew I wanted to make that transition into business. And um, it, it's been great. I, I love it. It's it's dynamic. You know, again, you talk about competition. You know, it's I me. Mean, it's not competing against other people. It's competing against these markets, you know, trying to figure out the best way to navigate to help p- folks build their wealth. And, and uh, you know, we've got a wealth management company, Combs Capital Partners, my uh my son, my middle son, now runs kind of the day to day of that that company, and of course, I help him along with, uh, especially with the strategy side of what we're doing. But uh, it's just a blast. I love it. Um, you know, the markets are what the markets are. You, you you set up strategies to help you know take advantage of these good times that we're in. You uh, build uh, some protective overlay strategies that when things start to go south, you you, you know, pair back your exposure, your risk. So again, it's a lot of analysis. It's a lot of data. Uh, it's, it's how to use that data. It's not really a whole lot of different than looking at scatter reports years ago, you know, and you're trying to figure out how do I win, right? I like so, it, dude. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. Day to day, it changes. The, the dynamic changes. Um, but you got to be on your toes. You got to be ready. Uh, you know, so it's, it's again, it's, it's a lot of study and work and research. But again, applying it help families get where they're wanting to go, you know, to help maximize their impact with their family, the world, what they're trying to get accomplished. You know, we, we know financially it has a lot to do with it when they're, when they're financially healthy, uh, you often find healthy families, you know, folks that understand how to budget, how to take care of their money, uh, how to use it in the right ways with their kids, with their community, you know, be, to be generous with it. When we find families that are doing those things right, they're usually really healthy families. And the ones that don't do it, we, we try to come alongside and, and help them, you know, find out what, what's the biggest constraint within their plan. And we try to help them construct a, a plan that'll work for them. 
Dude, you, God, man, this is unbelievable. And you know what I was told at a young age was, you know, don't do it for the money. The money doesn't matter, this and that. Well, okay, I never, I, I never played for the money. I, I didn't. It was about the game. But in order to live a life, you have to have money. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. Byron's back. Byron, he went on a trip. I did. What's up, buddy? Good. We're, we're, we're about to roll into a question. We talked about uh, the financial markets, cryptocurrencies a little bit. We got into uh, what Pat does, and we're going we're gonna to now talk about his book. His book that he wrote. I don't know what year it came out. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Can you explain, Pat, what, what your book's all about? Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's called More Than the Score, and it was really written to parents and coaches to help them focus on what I thought was the right perspective about youth sports, you know, teaching our kids the character, the values, the virtues that they can learn from the game. So that's uh, that was the reason for, for writing the book. I, I used a lot of our family stories, our experiences to try to highlight some of the points I was making, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool just kind of writing down uh, some of the things that we've been through, both positive and some of the, the, the struggles that we had uh, through the game. but. You know, for the most part, Dave, I would say my, my kids really enjoyed their youth sports experience. And it was because my wife and I made a commitment that we weren't going to live our lives to our kids in sports. We were going to have fun. We were going to enjoy doing that with them. You know, that yeah. a lot for a lot of our family vacations, it's, it was around sports. So we wanted to make it a fun experience for them. And then again, just kind of see what, what kind of talent they were given and where that could take them. And for all three of them, they had the great benefit of playing collegiate sports, and they really got a lot out of that. Uh, my oldest son uh, started a college ho hockey program after he got done playing hockey. And uh, so it was a huge thrill for him to be able to do that. And then now to see the legacy he's left behind with hundreds of players now that are coming through the program that are gaining an education, but uh, doing it in, in the right way. And so, uh, but there's things like that. There's, there's, there's probably 20 stories like that that are in the book amazing man that's amazing i and, and, and see you it's not only you preach it you lived it you live it still and you know there, there's there, there's just uh it's there, there's so many good there's so many good guys out there doing doing what you do and there's and there's the other other side of things where you know there's other guys out there that don't they're not in it for you know like you're promoting fun yeah like i just mentioned to you something that we were talking about how much hard work it was and you're like no we had fun doing that 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 yeah you've 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 reversed it and you've made things that are super difficult into into something that you think is fun and i think that is i wrote another uh, word down here what is it called planning <laughs> it sounds like you plan things to work out for your benefit and and that's what people do, man. I uh, God, I just love it. Byron, what do you got, man? What do you got for Pat? You've been you've been away for so long. <laughs> I know. Pat and I have gone back and forth. Pat's like, dude, I'm out of here. I keep talking to Dave. He keeps I asking me all so, these crazy so questions. <laughs> I miss so much. So I got I got to ask you. It's a part of your career. Was there any moment or any funny story, good story that you remember off and off, off and on the field? from your major league career that you remember most? Oh man, uh, Byron, gosh. So Dave will be the first to attest. There's a lot of stories I could tell you that are really funny, but I can't tell you because this is a family oriented program. So no, go, uh, no, go right ahead. It's a podcast. Oh, no, he's not going to do it. <laughs> no, he's not going to do it. No. Do it. It's he won't a do podcast. It, 
There's and no you, filter you here. Yeah. I won't do it. I'm not doing it. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't tell the stories. They're they're only that when when do they come out? You know, they only come out at certain times with certain people, and it's not on a live yeah. anything. No, we well, no. gotta protect the guilty as well. That's that's the problem. Yes, there's a lot yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But hey, no, there's there's a couple of good stories that um, you know. One, I know these guys won't mind me telling this this particular story because it was really. It was kind of interesting. It was fun. But, um, you know, we uh, <clears throat> we're on a bus trip from Philly to New York to play the Mets. And we get done with the series. We're on the bus trip back. So it's late at night. I, I couldn't remember the time frame. But uh, Dale Murphy had just gotten traded over to the Phillies. And so Dale and I are sitting across the aisle from each other. And, you know, we're having a great conversation about life and family and different things. And and John Cruck is John Cruck, right? So Oh, stop. Yes. Yeah, so Crunky <laughs> had a good night. He had he was uh, he was feeling really good about himself. Maybe he had a few beers. I don't know. Um, but he walks back and he, he tries to interject himself in the conversation. And now you got to remember, Dale Dale had just gotten traded. He was probably a teammate for two weeks. And uh, and Crunky's like, "Hey man, I want to I want to jump into this talk." You know, and Dale's like, "Hey hey John, we're you know Pat and I are having this conversation." I'll come talk to you in a few minutes. And, and Crunky would not leave it alone. And finally, Dale Murphy, as nice a guy as he is, stood up on that bus and said, John, go sit down. I'll be there in a second. <laughs> and Crunky, his eyes light up and he goes like, wow, Dale, I didn't mean to piss you off. <laughs> and of course, everybody knows Dale Murphy is, you know, a strong religious guy, Mormon, right? And, uh, but just hearing that sternness in his voice, man, that caught Crucky's attention pretty quick, and he went and sat down. So uh, that was kind of a fun deal, but um, that's one uh, of the clean ones I can tell you. That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> okay. I'm there on the bus. I'm there on the bus right there, and it's 3, 4 in the morning. It's dark. There's half the people sleeping on the on the ground yeah. or whatever. Or on the, what, it's He confronted him, and that's the guy that you never expect to say anything like that because that guy was every Sunday in the Bible. He never oh, yeah. goes out. He doesn't do this. He doesn't not do that. And you know what? Those are the guys that are, you know, they kind of clean you up a little bit sometimes. And <laughs> it happens. Yeah, what, what's Crook going to do? Like say anything bad to the guy? No. No, did he? You know, you know who that is. He's the good guy on the field, man. He's the guy that's like, no, it's Sunday. It's Sunday. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go to the church, man. Let's do it. Exactly. You know, and I, I love all those guys. And look, you, you play with so many guys. You play with so many guys. Here, here's my here's my story of my plane ride, and this is what happened to me. This is great. So the poker in the back of the plane. I'm not allowed back there. I'm a rookie. Do not pass this row type of deal. I'm like, all right, fine. They're playing with two hundred, five hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is. Every time they fly, they have the the thing that holds all the chips. Who knows what else is in there? I get told you have to take this and you have to bring it on the plane. After the road trip, you're responsible for it. Rookie takes it. Dude, the thing's 50 pounds. It's a whole thing of chips and who knows what else. It's a whole briefcase. We check in. This is in Philadelphia. We check in there. I have the whole thing. I mean, oh, my God, I'm dying. And this is every senior vet guy's poker thing. It's their stuff. I cannot mess this up, okay? So I hold it. I take it. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I'm protecting this thing. Long story short, I get a call early in the morning early early in the morning that i have i've been dropped down i've been dropped down to triple a yeah you're done and i'm like oh my god what do i do with these chips <laughs> <laughs> so 
So long story short, I, I mean, it was just like, it's not that, that great of a story, but I had the chips, I got cut and I had to just, I had to go to the front office. No one's even there. It's like four five, six in the morning. I got cut and I'm like banging on the, on the window or the, the door, the, the bell thing. I'm like, come on, somebody, I have to drop these chips off and leave the name for the guy that who, who they are. I never knew if they got him back, but I left him at the front desk, man. And I, w- I was the chip. You know what I'm saying? B-I-T-C-H. And yeah. And I got dropped down during my, during my duty, dude. It was so, it was humbling, man. And, but at the same time, like, here's the story, dude. Like the main guys gave it to me, man. They trusted me with it. And you know what? I did them right. So there you go. Oh, good, bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one more Del Murphy story for you. So we're, we're in the clubhouse towards the end of the season. This has been, I think the 91 season. And, uh, and we're, uh, we're having a sponsor day. So all the sponsors, big time corporate sponsors are there, you know, they're honoring those guys on the field and there's a big cake in our clubhouse. So they bring all the sponsors up. They're in the clubhouse, you know, and Dave, you know, that's kind of our, our sacred place. Right. So, so we got all these, all these outsiders in our clubhouse and they bring this big cake in. Thank you to our sponsors, blah, blah. blah. And so Dale Murphy is over there and they're, they're serving the cake and Dale, takes a bite of the cake and he goes, uh, oh man, this, this doesn't taste right. And I'm like, you got all these sponsors, everybody's in the clubhouse. I'm going, oh no, somebody screwed the cake up, right? So Dale, it, he says, man, he goes, Pat, take, smell that cake and tell me if you think it smells bad. You know where this is going, right? Oh, you did not. So oh. I go down and smell the cake and Dale shows my face right in the middle of this, this team cake. And all the sponsors there, the GM is there, the management's there. And I'm, I lift my face up out of the cake and I'm just covered nicely. And I'm, I'm like, what do you say, right? And I go, Murph, I can't believe you, the Mormon guy, shoves my face in the cake, man. How? What in the world? You're going to suffer for this, right? I mean, the whole clubhouse busted out laughing. It was, it was a funny moment, but um, I was covered in, in icing. <laughs> oh my God, that's great. Well, yeah, I got. I still love Dale today. He's, he's, uh, yeah, he's a dear guy. But yeah, he, he, he took advantage of me. People, people don't get under. They don't understand in the clubhouse the meanest things that you could do somebody. They're 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 gonna happen, and it's it's all good. Like the um, this happened in AAA. They call it something, but it's the something sit up. And the guy, it's yes, the the what atomic sit up? Yeah, it's either incredible or atomic sit up. Yeah. Yes. So there's that, and then there's the other one, the three man link where. Milwaukee, they had the clubby. He filled up. He put he put raw food in it. He had the thing, and he had it sitting there for a couple of days. And then after these guys link up, he pours it on him. The other one does the sit up, and he gets a literally an ass full of cream and and yogurt, whatever. And it's that's what it's all about, dude. And it's yeah. those memories. I do not forget one, and it's millisecond for millisecond. And it's just amazing, man. Just the stories that you got. It's just so it's so cool, dude. I love it. The yeah. guys are yeah. awesome. The old Astrodome, uh, where the Astros played, obviously, were um, used to have a long tunnel to get to the dugout and from the clubhouse to the dugout. So uh, you're you're going through this tunnel. Well, there was these cracks up in the stands. And uh, Roger McDowell, there was a there was a guy making all kinds of noise during during one of the games in the series. And he was yelling stuff, you know, profanities and just being a jerk. But he was sitting in uh, like the fourth row back from the dugout, and you can see the crack up through the stands. And Roger McDowell goes and, and torches up a hot foot, Dave, and he lights this guy's shoelaces on fire. And the whole dugout standing outside because they knew he was doing it. 
And this guy jumps up and starts freaking out. His shoes are on fire, man. It's like, what did Roger do? And he said, well, I found some, uh, I found some alcohol and <laughs> I put it on the back of his shoe. Then he lights it. And his whole shoe shoots up in flames. The guy's running around the stands with his foot on fire. It was the funniest dang thing I've ever seen in baseball. But, um, yeah, we got in trouble for that one because they, they finally figured out the only way this guy's foot caught on fire was because of the crack in the bottom of the stands. But, uh, thankfully, nobody got arrested, but it, that was that was a good one, too. That's funny. That's great. This is the major leagues. Yeah, major leagues. This is it. This is it. Those guys in the locker room, dude, in the clubhouse, in the dugout, during the game, are going to do the most messed up things that you can ever imagine. <laughs> If you react in the wrong way, you don't. That's the thing. You don't. There's guys. Okay. There's guys that do. There's guys that do. Usually it's the um, Latino guys that don't get it. The younger Latino guys. I've seen a younger Latino guy get freaked out because they did something. But dude, yeah, it's man. It's intense, Pat. You're right. It's intense. It's crazy. The respect level that you have during those times in my life that I got from other people. It was insane. Look, you played in an era. I want to talk about him real quick. When I, and the reason I played in the major leagues, baseball at all, Cincinnati Reds, Ken Griffey Jr. Can you can you talk about Ken Griffey Jr. at all? Yeah, I didn't know him. I didn't didn't play against him, but uh, just the reputation he had in the game, you know, just tremendous, right? The ultimate competitor, the guy, uh, great talent. Obviously, everything came together, you know, for him. Uh, I think obviously growing up in a in a big league household with his dad really really helped you know molded him and helped shape him but again you know you see a lot of those guys that don't make it like that there's a lot of former players I played with their sons didn't make it and you know that that sense of entitlement or whatever it was it kind of kept him out but but Griff was a hard worker loved the game had a passion for it that's that's what I know about him um obviously his statistics bear it out you know he, he played at a high level yeah. for a very long time what about Nolan Ryan yeah, Nolan, my hero, man, growing up in Texas, you know, and uh, never wore his number. I, there's a lot of pitchers in Texas that wear 34. I never would wear it just to honor him. I'm like, I, I can never be that guy, so I don't want to wear his number. Um, but, Love yeah, it. he's, uh, you know, not only one of the best pitchers of all time, but a tremendous man. You know, I got to know him and his sons after the game, after I was done playing. And, um, you know, Nolan was just a, a very honorable guy. You know, the way he treated people, um, you know, when, when you think of a lot of guys that get to that point where they're, you know, some of the best players in the game, I, I, I don't know anybody that was as honorable man who was as good as he was in the game. And, and that's, you know, it was such a joy to be around that guy. You know, he never, he never dishonored anybody. I mean, I, I watched, we, we would go to games at, at the when Texas Rangers when he was there working on staff and, um, you know, the reputation he had, that the way he treated the, the janitors and the and the staff people, I mean, just always uh, loved on people and appreciated them. And uh, that's, wow. to me, just a great role model for the, for the game of baseball. He's still rocking a triple-A field out in Austin, right? Yeah, yeah, round rock, yep. What do you got with Dennis Eckersley? These are all my idols, man. This is the reason yeah. I played. Dennis Eckersley. Yeah, I, I don't know DE either, but I, I've heard great stories about him as well. Just one of those incredible competitors, right? So... You know, you can you can understand why they why teams wanted the ball in his hand to end a game. I mean, that guy had a had a, a, a competitive intensity you know scale of of a hundred, right? I mean, he was just uh, he wanted the ball in those situations, and 
you know, great, great competitor. I always enjoyed watching that because he could right. do so much with the baseball with different arm angles and stuff. It was just fun to right. watch. Yeah. I got one more, and then Byron, it's all yours, bro. Hey, Pete Rose. Yeah, gosh. I played against his son in the minor leagues. And, um, oh, you did? Wow. Yeah, he was in Hagerstown, Maryland, and uh, he didn't make it out of out of double uh, A, but yeah, you know, and again, trying to live with that that expectation level of trying to be his dad. He tried to, you know, it's kind of funny. He tried to model himself after his dad, but um, yeah, you know, and I worked in Cincinnati. I was a consultant for a couple of companies up there and, and just heard a lot of stories about Pete. Um, you know, it, I think Dave, when you think about players that played the game in such a way, and I'll, I'll bring up a teammate of mine, you know, uh, Lenny Dykstra, they played the game with such an edge all the time. And you just knew because they were going to sell out their bodies and they were going to do anything they could to win. You just knew that it was going to be hurtful to them at some point, right? And so the same things that made them successful on the field could be really destructive off of it. And uh, and that's the thin line, man. In, in pro sports, you see it all the time. The thin line of guys who are so ultra competitive, they'll do anything to win. And then they have a disaster of a life off the field because they don't know how to switch that, that switch, right? They don't know how to turn it off. And um, unfortunately for Pete, I think that was the battle for him. You know, he just, he, he had such an ultra competitive desire to win at everything he did. And it, it just, it just, he just didn't know when to, when to shut that off. Mm. Yeah. Hey, you're the man, dude. You're, wow. So what we're going to do, I've got, wow. I've got, we've got about 10 minutes left before my, I see two, I got two minutes, dude. Before my kids, <laughs> before I got two on, minutes. Hold on, hold on. Before my kid's done with his ABA. Oh, my bad. So, what I'm going to do is do a part three. We're going to come back. I'm going to ask a couple more questions I missed while I was gone. And then, Dave, if you have one more, you can add on to that as well. But we will be right back with part three, the last ten minutes. Let's do it. I got Barry Bonds in my head. I got Barry Bonds in my head. Well, That's you can all. ask that one too. <laughs> Welcome back to part three with Pat Combs. Got ten minutes left, so we're going to finish this strong. My my next question to you, Pat, is you were a pitcher. Did you have a hitter or any hitters that you dominated and any hitters that dominated you in your career? Yeah, the one that, that kind of had my number was Ryan Sandberg, uh, the Cubs. Um, what? Yeah, super smart hitter, made, made good adjustments. Um, there was a game in Chicago. He went four for four off me. Hit every every pitch was a different pitch. So he hit a fastball and first at bat, and then I he hit a breaking ball. Uh, then he hit my split finger. Then he hit a changeup. So I had nothing else to get him out with, and uh, it, it, he was just locked in that one day. Uh, the funny story was we had those guys a week later, and I'm pitching against him at home in, in the vet. And Johnny Padres, our pitching coach, uh, reminded me in the bullpen that. Uh, you know, Sandberg was the only guy in that lineup that really hurt me that day. And I said, thanks, Pods. I've been thinking about that for a week. Appreciate the, the reminder. But, thanks, uh, bro. Yeah. He said, 
he said, well, what are you going to throw to him tonight? I said, well, uh, not real sure. I've looked at the film. You know, I, I mean, I've got an idea. I'm going to just try to keep balls away from me. He said, well, first at bat, I, I got some, I got some, uh, I got some advice for you. I'm like, all right. He said, first pitch, throw a four seam fastball right down the middle. And I said, no, why do I want to do that? He said, he thinks he's so locked in against you. His eyes will get really big and he'll, he'll try to jack it and he'll pop it up on the infield. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like a very good strategy to me. <laughs> he says, no, I'm telling you, just try it. You know, see what happens. You get, sometimes you get hitters that, that they're so confident against a particular pitcher, they'll be overconfident and you'll get them out. I'm like, okay. Wow. So I'm literally walking to the mound. You know, he's going to bat number two in the first inning. I'm walking to the mound thinking, what am I going to do to get this guy out? And I said, well, I got to get the first guy out first and I have nobody on. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try it. Right. So I get the first guy out. And then, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, pods can't be right, but I'm going to, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to throw a fastball right in the middle. If he jacks it, it's a one run home run, right? It's, it's just a home run. So I wind up throw a four, four seam fastball right down the middle, belt high. Wow. He pops it up on the infield. To Ryan Sandberg. Yeah. And I'm looking at the dugout and pods is laughing. Like he's, he's like on his, on his back, like laughing in the dugout. And uh, I walk in the dugout after the inning, and I said, dude, I cannot believe that worked. And he said, I can't believe you threw that. I was just messing with you. I said, oh, so you're messing with me in the bullpen to me, for me to throw that pitch. And he said, well, yeah, but it worked. I said, yeah. He goes, but don't throw that again. <laughs> That's awesome. How about your, your pitching coach messing with you during a, during a professional baseball game? How about that? Dude. So I, I I get that I get these pitching coaches I know I know what they go through I seen him Stan Kyles was the main guy that I spent years with he was a pitching coach from Milwaukee he made it to the big leagues dude the guys that he dealt with the stuff that he had to go through every day pitchers you guys are a different animal and then also you guys do hit BP when I played oh, they yeah. were hitting BP and they you guys talk so much so much smack about hitting if you guys get a chance but then you know. You know, it all falls apart when you're facing 95 in a slider. But um, yeah. Yeah, every pitcher thinks they can hit. Yeah, every, hit in high school. But and then and then Alex Hinshaw, I, I I got put in my place really easy. Every position player thinks yes, they can did. pitch. Yeah. What do you think about that, Pat? Yeah. Well, especially the shortstops, the infielders all think they can because you make a bad pitch and you're like going, "Why did you throw that?" You know. It's like, <laughs> Shut up and play your position. Yeah, it's, it's zip it over there, uh, it, it, Yeah, a lot of it's been fun. But, um, yeah, and Byron, the guy that I, I had really good success against was uh, kind of a big-name guy was Daryl Strawberry. Daryl never had a hit off me. Um, he wow. sliders away, hard stuff in. It just jacked with him, man. He And I think probably the first couple of times I faced him, I knocked him down. You know, it wasn't like I was trying to, but he, he was a guy. He would dive in, you know, and, and just use those big, strong hands of his. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I just, wow. you know. There, there's certain guys that, that don't see it well off of you. Um, yeah, but you always had good success against Straw. Wow, that's awesome. Strawberry was had a one hell of a career, too. Ooh, that's yeah, awesome. Daryl Strawberry, dude. Yeah, I yeah. know. I know. I got one last question, Pat. Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Gosh. Oh, man. Tough questions. Not, um, you know... A lot of different opinions about that. I, for Pete, I think he crossed the line, you know, and you bet on baseball, and I don't know if he ever bet on his team or not. I don't think that was ever proven, but, I, you know, you, you, 
you cross the line when you when you do stuff like that. And that's to me, it's unfortunate, but he he made that choice. And um, you know, I, I talked to uh, there was a guy that used to run the Hall of Fame named Dale Petrosky. Dale's a good friend, and I I asked Dale about just his time in the Hall and and you know what it meant. And he said, you know, the Hall is a Hall of Honor. You know, it really is. You're honoring the greatest athletes of all time, and you're and you're honoring these men who who put together these incredible careers. And he said, every Hall of Famer I've ever inducted and ever met were, were really good men. And, um, you know, they may not, you know, they made mistakes with, with family and things and, you know, didn't live perfect lives, obviously, but they were very honorable men. He says that our job in baseball is to protect the Hall. It's, it's a Hall of Honor. And I, I, when I think about that, I, I think that's what eliminates Pete from that, that conversation. Um, you know, for, for Barry Bonds, um, Gosh, man, it, you know, everybody will tell you at that level, you do everything you can to be the best you can be. And again, you, you cross the line, you know that 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 there's you're going to pay a price, you know, and, that, and Roger Clemens, who's a friend of mine. I mean, I, I love Roger, but I, I have a tough time uh, knowing that those guys did things that, that crossed the line, that made themselves better. But they, you know, for the guys who didn't do that, they had a, an advantage over, right? And so I, I think... But those conversations are not easy. I, I've even I've talked to Roger about it. He knows where, what I think about it. He respects that. He also feels like um, at, at that particular moment, he was doing everything he could to be the best he could be. And that's that's where he comes down on it. So, yeah, it, those are tough, tough things to to uh, to think through. But that, that's where I come out on it. And my last question to you is before we let you go, because we know you got to go as well. Um, were you a part of that first championship year for the Phillies when they went back to back, well, not championship, but I'm going to say NL championship because they didn't win yeah. the World Series because it was the Blue Jays that did. Were you a part of that series when they won it? Well, I wasn't on the team during the series. I was on the team during the year. Yeah, I'd gotten hurt and was rehabbing, so didn't get a chance to play in the in the World Series with them. But yeah, it was a that was a fun run. Great team. Um, obviously, you know. Kurt Schilling and some of the guys we picked up, you know, that 92 season that really helped us get over the top uh, in 93 and then, you know, beating the Braves. That, that was uh, something I didn't think we could, we could overcome their pitching staff, you know, just line up against Maddox and Schmoltz and Glavin and, and Steve Avery. It was like, you know, murder. Unreal. Yeah. yeah. So to beat those guys, that was incredible. And, and, you know, I'm unfortunately losing on that walk off to uh, Joe Carter. The series was a heartbreaker, but, you know, it was a lot of fun. That was a great, great ride. What do you remember most about that year, though, besides you getting hurt? Oh, man. Um, you know, it's it's probably not often talked about. And, um, you know, I towards the end of that season, you know, Mitch Williams was our closer. And Mitch was doing fine up until about August. And then it got a little rocky in August. And he lost his velo. And it wasn't anything, you know, uh, other than I think it was just the physical wear and tear in his arm, and and his velocity was down. As he, he was, you know, he was off and on with his control. Mm-hmm. And we had this young kid that came up that season named Ricky Batalico, and and Bo was unbelievable. I mean, he good stuff, right? He had mid nineties fastball, great slider, and it was one of those unhittable sliders when it was on. And when he came up. You know, I, I made mention to a couple of guys. I said, that guy's our closer. He should be our closer, right? Mm-hmm. 
you saw kind of what was happening with Mitch going down, Bo going up, and you thought, wow, you know, if they give this this kid a shot in August to to earn that role, he, he could he could potentially get us deep into the playoffs. Right? We didn't know at that time we we're going to go into the World Series, but I look back at that at that moment when um, when Fergosi could have made that move and given him some chances to close games. I think got him prepared for that role, and he didn't. And uh, and Dave, you'll know this. You know, politically, when you make a move like that. Uh, you got to have some cojones, right? And uh, and I think that was the thing that prevented us from winning the World Series. Now, it's easy to look back on and say it, but I, I remember during that time saying that to a couple of players that if he, if Botanical gets this chance, you know, we, we could we could win this thing. Wow. Um, so you look back at that and you go, that's a missed opportunity. But, you know, Mitch Williams would not have handled the demo- demotion very well. It could have caused a lot of, you know, commotion yeah, with the team yeah. and the way he handled it. So politically, there was, there was those ramifications and, but I also know when you have a, a talent like that, that, I mean, he threw, I think his first 12 innings in the, in, in the big leagues, he made, maybe get up three hits. The kid was unhittable. Wow. So, you know, it's a situation wow. where you, you look back in, in terms of, uh, uh, like I learned, you know, I like looking back at things and going, if I was in a leadership role like that, what decision would I have made? And why would I have made it, you know? And um, that that's a fun one to look back on because that was such a pivotal thing that, that I think could have won a World Series for us. But... Um, but so be it. We lost it. It was on a walk-off home run. Unfortunately, Mitch just didn't, you know, have his best stuff at the end of the year and gave it up. Wow, unbelievable story, unbelievable, man. Yeah, crazy. No one knows that. No one. I mean, no one, yeah. unless you were watching this and knew what was going on and who who had the stuff and who didn't. Man, this is inside info, man. Pat, you're the man. Thanks for everything, brother. Yeah, thank you. Hey, had a lot of fun, you guys. We want you to definitely come back on as many times as you want to. We appreciate it. Yeah, Byron. Hey, thanks for the invitation. Glad we were able to work it out. David, it's, it's been fun. Enjoyed you guys. Thanks. And it had fun too. We'll help. We'll help. We'll help you out any shape, form, promote your business, what you're doing. And if you want to help us out, we're always looking for more people to interview. So if you know anybody, just have them hit hit us up, or you hit us up, and we'll get that going. Cool, man. Yeah, we'll keep that in mind, guys. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Definitely. Thanks a lot, Pat. Thanks Take again, care. Pat. See ya. Have a great day. See ya. See ya. Well. Wow, man. Before we conclude, what an awesome episode number 18. It was awesome. And and you did good while I was gone. Hey, I handled it. Byron, I, I, I thought I did okay. You did. You did. Appreciate it, man. Thank no you, sir. Problem. So I'm going to conclude it for episode number 18 with Pat Combs one heck of a show we'll probably be on tomorrow night well i don't know yet we'll see but i will definitely hit you up and we'll get i want to see how that, i want to see how that first part Bye. turned out on youtube so I'll, so I'll let you i'll let you know and i'll give that to you so you can check it out as well Bye. Right. That's but, good. But, hey see ya <laughs> but until then i will get off this will concludes episode 18. From, for your host, Byron, for your co-host, Dave, we are what? out. Have a good night, guys. Later. Later. Oh, I went way up behind the light. Can you be up?